On today's episode, we're going to talk about things that we learned the hard way. Stay with us. For today's handshake, we want to talk about acceptance or resignation. So many times in the lives of men, we try and control all that happens to us and all that's around us and our circumstances. However, that is impossible. God's will is above ours, and we need to learn to accept or resign to His will throughout life. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, we're glad that you're here. Please click subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Click that bell button so you get notified every time we come out with one of these new pieces. If you're listening to us on your podcast player of choice, we'd greatly appreciate it if you wrote us a review, but definitely subscribe as well. We want to continue to provide you with content like this, with new and improved ways to help men grow in holiness, both in the digital um, space and then for their personal lives. And in order to do that, we need the help of men like you. If you're feeling called, please head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman and discern donating. Well, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about some life lessons that we learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a beautiful verse of scripture that says that a just man falls seven times, but he gets up again. That's right. And I've fallen seven times, 70 times. Yes. You know, so, but exactly. he gets up again. That's so, yeah, cool. we're going to talk about some of the things that we learned the hard way. Just, just uh, sometimes experience can be the best teacher Amen. in life. You can learn things from books. You can learn things from maybe wise counsel, but ultimately, sometimes it's the school of hard knocks that teaches you <laughs> yeah. the most. So That's right, and Sam and I are real big on taking action, right? Yes. And you have to take action, and in that action, we've learned mm-hmm. a lot of things yeah. uh, through our personal experience, and some of it has been... Um, hard and very much against our will. And I would say for me personally, not talking like just one particular instance on this day at three o'clock, this happened to me and it was a hard lesson, but no, like over mm-hmm. the course of these three, five, ten years, even present currently mm-hmm. in life, still learning things the hard way in the yeah. school of hard knocks. Yeah. I like that. So. Yes. Yeah. And I think to failure in life, like a lot of times men mm. fear that But as long as we learn something from it, even failures can be moments that help us move forward in holiness and maturity if we accept them and appreciate them for what they are. So so even these hard knocks, these lessons, these difficult lessons that were at times painful for us. They helped us grow. And that's right. That's that's why we wanted to do an episode on this. That's right. And you know, and we have the writings of St. Paul who boasts boasts in his weakness and We both believe that God can help us grow in our weakness, and it is in our weakness and our failings that Mm -hmm. that we can open ourselves up to him to make us better in his image, right? In the Imago Dei, not our image, which um, kicking or screaming very much, I wanted to do things my way. Yes, right. Well, let's let's jump right in. Why don't you start us off and share one moment, a difficult moment for you where you learned something. Yeah, so the first one that I have up is going to be kind of a longer one. And um, it's trusting in God uh, through my career and my finances, my financial um, um, self and and ability to support a family. And so I very much put um, kind of a... 
self-worth, I would say, and my accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And everything through college and uh, beyond, right? So I had to be the best at everything I, I did. I um, I got um, full rides to the colleges I went to. I got, and this is not out of any sense of, of arrogance or pride because for me, it was my self-worth. Like mm-hmm. if I yeah. didn't do those things, right. then I was a failure. And I just, yes. I truly believe that. I, I, I would talk to God, but God had to fit into my mold. Um, and, and it was kind of going to God when I was in need and um, and then kind of a confused understanding of my relationship with God. Yes. And I did, um, I was a professional trumpet player, as uh, some listeners um, already know, and I still am a professional trumpet player, but I had planned to um, play in one of the top symphony orchestras in the world and be one of the best trumpet players. And I truly believed that if I had given up everything to God and just said, you know what, God, do with me as thy please, you know, your will be done and not mine, that he was going to like break my fingers and I couldn't play the trumpet or I was going to get into a fight and my lip would be busted and I'd have to learn how to play the trumpet. I mean, like literally this is where my thoughts and imaginations went to was just that God um, needed uh, would have to break me like that. Yes. And that would be God's Old Testament, you know, hard will on my life. And I would just have to suck it up and accept it. Right. And that fear kept me from throughout high school and college. And I would say into my prof- uh, professional career, um, really letting go to God. And with that came a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. and a lot of depression and um, I have more anxiety than depression, but nevertheless, I would go around the country. I was I played in the Beijing Olympics in 2008. I performed trumpet um, around the world and then would go to auditions to try and win things. And every single time I didn't win a spot in a professional symphony orchestra, I, I would get depressed for a few days. It was yeah. like I wasn't worth anything. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so... Throughout that time and throughout the, I've been married for 11 years now, uh, throughout my 11 years of marriage, I've gone from being a professional trumpet player, um, playing in some symphony orchestras, teaching 40 kids a week, to all of a sudden doing directors of sales and marketing for a um, um, a learning management system company uh, while still playing the trumpet and still trying to succeed in that. And then, you know, really hanging on because it's still my will. Right. And we're talking years, like, like five, six years into now where I'm at as a professional marketing, Mm -hmm. um, individual that gets to play trumpet, um, out of joy and on the side. And I'll say that I learned this the hard way because for years when my friends would succeed in playing in professional symphony orchestras, Mm -hmm. instead of finding joy and happiness for them, right? I got sad and I got depressed Mm -hmm. because it wasn't me. And, and I mean, years of this and, um, and God has been bringing me out of it because I have my family and my priorities have started to change and I love my job and, um, I'm blessed to be performing that work. I love doing this with you, Sam and I couldn't have imagined what God had in store. Right. And if I, you know, I've learned a lot, I would say, you know, kicking and screaming, I've learned a lot. Yeah. And I'm not playing in one of the world's best symphony orchestras, but I'm still very fulfilled. Sure. So. Yeah. 
Well, that, that's that's beautiful. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think um, oftentimes those dreams and desires that we have uh, aren't always what's best for us, and yeah. it's a painful lesson to learn that and yeah. to be willing to trust God as He kind of course corrects our lives. And I'll, I'll have a moment of my own to share. Yeah, kind of similar. Um, a course correction that God made in my life that yeah. was that was painful, um, but really uh, my my first painful lesson was something that uh, I I <laughs> it sounds dumb looking back, but I'll just say it right out: don't pay your tuition with credit cards. Yeah. So so you know a lot of what they do these credit card companies do with new college students mm-hmm. is really kind of predatory. You know, you're For like sure. you're 18 years old, you're fresh out of high school. And this credit card company sends you a credit card in the mail with all these supposed wonderful perks. Mm. And of course, nobody reads the fine print. You know, when you're that age, you're just so young and immature. Well, anyway, I got this like Discover card in the mail and um, it had, it came with these checks where you could literally write a check to your credit account. Mm. Well, I was so dumb. Like, and I was struggling to pay my tuition at the Mm. time. I was having to like work my way through college. And I had some student loans, but it wasn't enough to like cover my mm. all my college expenses. So one time, I remember like going to the uh, student office and writing a check to my credit account. Yeah. Well, what I didn't look at was the fine print that said that if you used one of these checks, it like immediately bumped your interest rate to like thirty five percent. So I wrote like a several thousand dollar payment to my student account with oh my goodness painful lesson it took me years to pay that off oh, sure. um but the point is be prudent do yeah. your homework i feel like uh financial management should be taught to every high school student yeah you should learn how to manage money Amen. how to you know uh track their expenses do a budget things like that, because I didn't get any of that. And I learned the hard way that poor financial decisions can haunt you for years to come. So the main lesson, the main takeaway is uh, do your homework around money. A lot of people just aren't taught and they make some really dumb decisions. I made some really dumb financial decisions in my life. But as a husband and father, somebody who wants to get married or someone, someone who wants to get married, uh, don't strive not to bring a mountain of debt into your marriage. Yeah. It'll set you back for years. Yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful to go into your marriage, your your young marriage, with a lot of money in your savings mm. account? Yeah, right. That would put you way ahead of most young people today. Now I understand some people just can't do it. Like I was really struggling to pay my college tuition at the time, and I know yeah. a lot of a lot of people are in the same position. Um, but to the extent that you can. Try to be wise with your finances. Uh, it will really save you a lot of heartache and pain in life. Yeah. If you can just uh, put money back, learn to be a saver, learn to budget, things like that. So that was a painful lesson I learned. I and uh, hopefully I can, by sharing that, can save some people some pain too. That's right. And so there's so many layers to that. I completely agree with you in high school that we are, we need to be teaching our kids. Yes. And very frequently, I was blessed to have a mom who was an accountant. And so she did teach me with that. But my wife didn't. Yeah. And her parents didn't know to teach um, her that, right? right? And so she had the same difficulties. And I feel like there is so much... Uh, there's so many companies and 
um, in our consumerist culture that are looking to prey on mm -hmm. college kids. Yeah. And um, and then another layer to this is read the fine print, right? If it if it seems too good to be true, or <laughs> it, it seems, is. yeah, it probably is, right? That famous saying. And I I completely agree. I've I've um, thrown myself into different situations where I even thought that I had read the fine print, yes. but then uh, realized I didn't. Another layer that just came out while you were talking was have an older person that you can turn to, that you respect, that is wise, that mm -hmm. you can talk to about this and, and, and throughout life. But, but yeah, definitely talking to our um, high school listeners, college age listeners, you know, 30 year olds. Um, uh, I turn to uh, my parents all the time, you yeah. know, and I'll give them a call and I'll be like, um, like broken air conditioning unit, right? And I'm getting all these quotes and learning all of this information and it's going to cost thousands of dollars. And do I just fix the part, you know, or do I fix, you know, replace the whole system and all this stuff? If I didn't have somebody to turn to that's experienced mm. that not once, but maybe three times in their lives already, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're walking blind and, and likely to make um, a bad decision. So, yeah. And also just one last thing I want to say about this is realize that credit is not money. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Like when I was a young and dumb college student, I literally thought like, well, I have a $10,000 credit mm. line. That means I have $10,000. Yeah. It feels like it is <laughs> as a young person, you know, with the, not a lot of sense. And uh, yet, it's not money. It's yeah. money that you're going to have to pay back eventually. Um, so just realize that. Don't go crazy. Save yourself a lot of pain later yeah, on. Yeah, so. agreed. So another thing in my life, and, and these things are humbling and, um, and somewhat embarrassing to admit, but uh, Sam and I both felt like this is something really good to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. So is a consistent and daily prayer. Mm -hmm. So... When I was in college, in high school, I used to have what I call active prayer, right? I'd have my litany of things that mm. I'd have to pray for, right? Lord, please help me do well in this test. Help me remember all the things I studied. Remember, you know, Lord, please this and please that, et cetera. And oh, yeah, and take care of my mom, please. You know, and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, but it wasn't... It was maybe consistent, but it certainly was just like a checkbox, right? I Like going to Mass on Sunday as an mm. obligation is like, well, if I got to get to heaven, I got to do this. Right. There was no relationship building between me and, and the Lord. It was, um, I need these things and, you know, can I, um, can I cash out and, and get, you know, get uh, some divine assistance in these and, you know, and obviously as your relationship grows with Christ, you still need to constantly open your heart up to him, but... Um, when I was in college as a sophomore, I met with, uh, I was in confession and I met with a really amazing confessor and I asked him if I could, um, have him, talk to him outside for books to read and stuff. And I didn't, I actually had never heard of a spiritual director. I didn't know that was a mm. thing. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a, you know, as a, a consistent confessor. I, yes. you know, th these things were, you know, in my, um, upbringing, not a part of, um, of my life. And so I met with him outside of the confession and he ended up counseling me and he was an incredibly wise man. You know, might he rest in peace. Uh, um, um, he was in his eighties when I met him. And so the wisdom that he had gained and praise God, he was able to pass to me. But one of the, the first thing he said is, how's your prayer life? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, it's good. I got these active prayers that I go through and so the guy's like, well, no, do you, do you talk to God? Like, do you open yourself up and have a conversation? And this was very, foreign to me. And he, I was like, well, like, what do you mean? Like, 
he's not really talking to me. Like, I mean, you just right. want me to sit there in silence, like well, yeah. pretend, make up things in my mind that he, he is saying to me, you know? And so he said, well, I want you to pray daily, but the first thing I want you to do is I want you to um, pray for two weeks, Lord, when should I pray daily, right? So basically, if you're just starting out, you're trying to change your rule of life. Yeah. You might not realize that, yeah. but that's what you're doing. And so he said, pray to God for two weeks. And I did. And I discerned that it, um, it was uh, after breakfast is when I would sit down as a single guy and I would have my 30 minutes of, of prayer. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't waking up consistently every morning. So breakfast was fluctuating and that 30 minutes fluctuated. Yes. And as such... Um, I was very inconsistent. I didn't know what to do, so I'd read scripture, I'd read books, um, I I would stop and I would uh, have a petition or a Thanksgiving or something like that, but it was very scattershot. Mm -hmm. And I went on like this for three or four years, and every time meeting with him, um, he would say, how is it? And I would be honest with him. I'm like, well, there's a couple of days that, you know, I stayed up way too late last night and, and I didn't really get it in, or I only got like five minutes in and stuff like that. And he was like, John... We've got to work there first. Like, we've got to start there. So we're talking three or four years of this, right? So then uh, he he passed away, may you rest in peace, and I got a new spiritual director. First thing this spiritual director asked me was, um, how's your conversation with Christ? And I, I now I wasn't totally ignorant when I told him, and he was like, well, you got to, are you praying daily? And I said, almost, kind of, you know, most of the time. And he was like, it has to be like the air you breathe, right? It has to be that consistent. Yes. And he likewise was wise, um, just get to the end. It took me seven years with two spiritual directors guiding me to finally make daily conversation with Christ a part of my life. Yeah. And I did have to learn that the hard way because anybody who's gone to confession with the recurring sin understands that eventually you start um, chastising yourself um, not forgiving yourself, you start feeling like a failure. You even start, if you're like me, you start trying to think of different ways where you can say it, where it doesn't yes. sound like it's the same sin again that exactly. you failed with. And that's what I was experiencing with these spiritual directors was going to them, you know, once a month and basically being like a failure, like going in front of them and as a failure, not embracing that failure by any means, yeah. not, you know, but just embarrassed. And so... I can say my life is much greater now that I have prioritized that. And, um, but it, it wasn't, it was seven years of, of that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's extremely hard, but it, you know, sometimes like you're saying with a spiritual director, you can struggle on your own for 10, 15 years, you know, yeah. but having that mirror of a spiritual director who can reflect back to you in an honest way, what you're experiencing and hold you accountable can really lead to growth. So true. Well, my next one, next lesson was that an end can be a new beginning. Mm. So uh, when I was uh, in college, I went to a Baptist university and mm -hmm. I considered myself uh, a Baptist for most of my yeah. college years. Um, and my heart was set on becoming a Baptist pastor, mm. Baptist minister. Mm. Like I really thought that that was my calling. Oh, wow. um, and I was really kind of wedded to that idea. And um, it's about midway through my college experience, uh, I encountered a pastor that I met through a series of circumstances. And he 
invited me to participate in an internship at his Baptist church. What did that involve? It involved helping the youth group, you know, maybe preaching on Sunday nights, uh, just kind of doing the work of a pastor um, throughout that for about a whole summer. Mm. Um, so be kind of in the role of an assistant pastor in the Baptist world. So that was what, yeah. that was my role for the summer. And I thought I did really well. Mm. Like I had some stumbles and missteps. But overall, like all the people at the church seemed to really like me. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I would preach on Sunday nights, like people would respond well. And I thought I was feeling good mm. at the end of it. Mm. You know, yeah, like I said, I had some mistakes and things that I learned. and But I was, I was so proud of myself yeah. for really yeah. stepping out of my comfort zone and doing what I thought was like a really pushing myself. And I was proud of it, you know, proud of the work that I did. Yeah. And, but then I, after I got home from that internship, I got this long letter from the pastor cataloging every fall and mistake oh. that I did for the whole summer and telling me that he didn't think I was cut out for ministry and saying all these like very harsh things that just, just destroyed me. Oh. I was so humiliated, so humiliated. Yeah. Like it was the most shameful, like, humiliating experience to have all these faults mm. cataloged and just basically having having him telling me he was like extremely disappointed with my performance wow. and everything and I went from feeling great to just being lower than low yeah. and just feeling like a wretch really gotcha. yeah. and um, I just remember like just being so depressed and asking God like what are you doing like I thought this was my my calling I thought this was where my mm. gifts lay, lay and like why are you pulling the rug out from under me? And I was really depressed about that. Yeah. However, for a long time, I had had kind of a secret longing for um, a more historic form of Christianity, if you will, yeah. liturgical Christianity. And I started, shortly after that experience, started like re-examining my life, starting to explore church history a little more, um, starting really on the path that ultimately culminated in me becoming Catholic. Mm. Um, but it had that that dream of kind of being uh, a minister or a pastor I had to kind of die first. But it was the beginning of something new. It was the beginning of God doing a new work in my life and leading me in a new direction. But at the moment, it, at the time, it felt just like humiliation. Yeah. But God was doing something that I couldn't have foreseen and leading me down a different path. Mm. Um, a, a, a better path in the end um, than I could have imagined. But it all had to start with me dying to that dream. And I guess I could have forged on. I guess I could have picked myself up and, yeah. you know, tried again. But, but really at the time, it just felt like I, I had just I died to that dream of being a Baptist minister. And it, it was the beginning of the path that really led me wow. to the Catholic Church. So. Oh, praise God for that, but that you're here and that that you were led on that path. Um, I like how you've said a couple times that it's kind of like the worry or concern of God shattering your dreams or actually feeling like your dreams have been shattered. And I think that's exactly it, is that we set ourselves up with this image. I don't think we can help it, right? I don't think we can avoid setting ourselves up from our youth with mm -hmm. this this desire in our heart, even if yes. we're turning it over and then realizing that that desire isn't achievable for mm -hmm. whatever one of these reasons. So I, yes, I yeah. appreciate that. Um, so a thing for me, and this will probably resonate with a lot of guys that are listening, is 
humility. I've learned humility the hard way. I've had to be humbled yes. a lot. <laughs> so I can remember as a child um, sitting up in my room, knowing that I wanted something or was going to get in trouble. And I would literally plan out how my mom or dad would respond and how I would respond to them. And if yeah. they did this, I would say this. And if they did that, <laughs> I would say that. And I would make this formula to yeah. it. And by God's grace, he blessed me with an incredibly intelligent mom who was always two steps ahead of me. And um, <laughs> so, but I remember doing that. And um, and so there's, yes, the immaturity of youth, but that carried with me into high school mm -hmm. where I just had to be right. And that mm -hmm. I was so academically um, inclined and I could do so well that if any time somebody's opinion would differ from mine, I would. I'd be the jerk who, or the a-hole who would just call out something like, um, um, yeah, well, what'd you get on the last test? You know, because I always aced every test. So, yeah. you know, I knew that you I was... You were the kind of kid I didn't like very much <laughs> exactly. in, in, uh, in grade school and high yeah, school. Yeah, that's right. And so, and I guess that's exactly what I'm getting at, is that to realize that winning arguments and debates is not the end all, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, it really came to a head in college when I was being attacked for my faith and I started getting those Jim Burnham apologetic, beginning apologetic books, and I loved them. Oh, I fell in love with them. I would just pour over them, and I would just try and memorize them mm -hmm. because I just wanted to win debates. Yes. I just wanted to beat people. Like, I didn't care whether they converted to Catholicism. Right. It was an act of pride. I just needed them to realize that they couldn't... You know, if you're, if you're going to show up, you better, you know, be prepared right. because I'm going to be... And I did. I would write books. I literally have a journal where I was writing notes and stuff like that and, and just kind of preparing myself. It wasn't healthy debate. It wasn't, um, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, the discernment of truth. It was just mm -hmm. I wanted to win. And if they could tuck their tail between their legs and walk away in, in sadness, mm -hmm. then that would make me feel better. Um, then God, um, uh, that didn't always happen, but I would say that he he approached me from a different perspective where... Uh, he introduced me to that same spiritual director that I was talking about who just talked to me about love. And I say often that he taught me God's love. Not that my parents didn't. I had great parents and stuff like that. But he taught me in this situation of having to win debates that the Holy Spirit causes conversion. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't built a relationship with somebody and tried understanding their position, then it's all for naught, yes. right? right? Then I am... Um, I'm not on YouTube and having a million listeners and I'm doing this, I'm beating somebody more for the sake of people listening. That's not it. There's no some, you know, altruistic or some higher motive or something like that. For me, it was just these one-on-one -on -one relationships that I was ruining. Yes. And I did. I can think of quite a few that I became known as like the, you know, the haughty Catholic kid who, um, you know, in the school of music, people, anytime I looked at them, um, and they were doing something questionable, they'd immediately roll their eyes and be like, oh, John, you know, what are you going to tell me about, you know, how I need to be a better man or something like that? And it was because that relationships were, were really severed um, by my um, truth without charity. 
Yeah. You so know? instead of the Catholic gentleman, you were the Catholic jerk. I was the Catholic <laughs> jerk. I was a Catholic hobo. Yes. Um, I was not a gentleman. And so uh, that is something. And again, these things that we're talking about kind of stick with you, right? Yeah, and right. so I still die to myself um, in my at my work and things like that. I'm still um, struggling with, you know, when opposition comes to me in the form of opinion or whatnot, mm. I immediately go to what trump cards do I have on my my list. By God's infinite goodness and love, um, I'm really, I've grown a lot to, to ch- get myself in check, remind myself of my own failings yeah. and stuff like that, take a couple days before responding or something like that right. so that I can really see things from their perspective and mm-hmm. do my best. And yeah. Sam knows this about me. Um, that it's it's not always easy, and I definitely fail at that. But it, it's something that you know, still yeah. still learning the hard way, I guess you know, yeah. so to speak. So exactly. Well, my next one goes so well with that one. Okay. It's, it, the, the biggest lesson is just don't be overzealous. Mm. Um, now, yours was more your zeal was more outwardly focused mm. in in kind of crushing the enemies of the faith. You know, <laughs> that's right. But my mine was more personally focused. Mm. So when I was a new convert. Oh, man, I just was so zealous. Mm. And I made so many mistakes. Mm. Um, alienated a lot of people, kind of like you're, you're talking yeah. about, just in my enthusiasm for the faith. But also, there came a time when I was like, I need a rule of life. But I don't just want, like, you know, the basic rule of life of, like, you know, praying three times a day or something. No, I want, like, the most hardcore rule of life. Mm. And I started looking into all, like, the confraternities and, yeah. you know, all the third orders and everything. But nothing was intense enough for me. <laughs> so I finally found a group um, who practiced, like, a medieval rule of life that was hardcore. I mean, everything was regulated mm. from the kind of socks that you wore to... Wow. And there are some incredibly holy people in this confraternity. So... When I say this, please don't, you know, um, think that I'm I'm in any way disparaging this confraternity. Yeah. Um, it was it is it is a beautiful thing. The people who live this way of life, it's it's a true call to poverty, chastity, and obedience, mm. while still living in the world and not necessarily being a religious. But um, for me, it was. Uh, an expression not of genuine desire to live with poverty, chastity, and obedience. It was a distorted zeal. Hmm. And it was, and I brought it into my marriage and I told my wife, like, instead of asking her opinion, I was just like, I'm going to do this. And she's like, okay, like, y- you know, I, I don't think this is going to go well. But but uh, I, I plunged in, I like got rid of all my colorful clothes and was wearing like these plain clothes. <laughs> like wasn't cutting my hair, or trimming my beard. I looked like a wild man. Took the Nazarite challenge. You know, I wore yeah. this like massive crucifix around my <laughs> neck, you know, the bigger the better, yeah. just to show everybody how Catholic I was, you know. And, um, you know, I just, I really kind of went off the deep end, you know, was praying like, hours a day my wife's like I want to spend time with you and I'm like no sorry I've got like 25 prayers I gotta complete and I just was just it was all based in like this distorted zeal that had nothing kind of just like you're describing that really didn't have anything to do with true love for God or again a desire an authentic desire to um uh sacrifice for Christ uh through poverty chastity obedience it was it was strictly just 
almost like an image. Mm. Like I wanted to be the most hardcore Catholic I could possibly be. So I struggled with this for like two and a half years of just trying to cut, just trying to cram this into my life and like, or I should say cram my life into this rule that was, um, for a husband and father, family man, like it just, it wasn't what I needed at that time. But I, I just kept trying, just trying to muscle yeah. it and force it. And it wasn't working. Mm. And I um, tried to, tried to, you know, in fact, like tried to get the order to accommodate me mm. at some point because I was so wedded to this idea yeah. and I couldn't let go of it. Wow. Like I just wanted to be like the hardest core family man I could be. And finally though, like the breaking point came. It's just like, I can't do this any longer. Like this is harming my spiritual life. It's harming my family. It's harming my relationship with my wife. Yeah. And I gave it up. Yeah. And honestly, it was, it, like I said, it wasn't rooted in anything genuinely holy. It was rooted in an image I had of myself. Mm. And I had to die to that image of myself and acknowledge what I was and what I was capable of and my true straight in life and my own limitations as a human being. Yeah. And that was a painful thing. And yet... Um, in that, I learned that uh, a misguided zeal can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of you know Catholic guys out there who maybe were cradle Catholics, and they just rediscovered their faith at some point in their life, and they they're like, man, I missed out on so much. Right. I'm just going to go swing to the other extreme and pile on every devotion I can possibly That's find. Right. You know, do all the things, do all the Catholic That's things right. to the point where they start hurting those around them and hurting themselves um, and not actually finding being any closer to God at the end of it. That's right. And I understand the desire. I genuinely do. Yeah, me too. But I also recognize that one thing we have to know is that devotions are to serve us. Yeah. We are not to serve devotions in the sense that if a devotion is not genuinely bringing you closer to Christ, yeah. it's hindering your spiritual life. That's right. Let it go. That's right. You know, practice it to the extent that it facilitates your relationship with Christ. Yeah. And you're growing closer to him and you're growing in love for him and you're growing in love for your neighbor. But to the extent that these devotions are just devotions for devotion's sake, they can do a lot of damage if they're not approached in the right way. So be cautious if you're a new convert or you're a cradle Catholic who's just rediscovering their faith. Be cautious about loading yourself down with zealous exercises. Mm -hmm. um, seek guidance, like you're saying. Seek a spiritual director who can help you weigh these things mm -hmm. and assess what is prudent and what is helpful and what is just a misguided zeal. Yeah, We need that external voice a lot of times. We sure do. And you remind me of a quote um, that I'm not going to get exactly right, but from St. Alphonsus, where he talks about our personal devotions and practices merit us nothing if they're not in uniformity with God's will. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so if if we are for, and I, I can't, um, I can see myself exactly in, in your, your situation, right? Where it's like, I need to be praying the liturgy of the hours, praying the rosary, fasting three times a week, you know, et cetera. Right. And you know what? Family, suck it up. You're on this ride with me, you know, right. you know sort of attitude um, that, uh, that I've displayed as well. So, yeah, it's a really good reminder. I appreciate all that. Mm -hmm. So my final one, 
um, today that I learned the hard way. It's going to be a little bit more practical, a little bit more specific, but I would say it's um, moderation and um, in, uh, in what I ate. Mm. So, um, you know, it's uh, hard not to, to go into some of this with a sense of humor now, um, but when I got married, I got an ulcer. Literally two weeks or so after marriage, I realized I had an ulcer. Not because I was anxious or worried, you know, or what did I get myself into by any means, but I think that just that excitement, you know, gave me an ulcer and ended up having to get all these sorts of antibiotics to get rid of the H. pylori and all that stuff that was causing the ulcer. And um, it screwed with my, my stomach systems and stuff like that. And anyways, fast forward a year and a half later, um, I was hospitalized. I ended up having situations where I would get mm. up in the middle of the night feeling horrible and I would pass out. Yeah. And then, um, anyways, so I had multiple doctors giving me all sorts of antibiotics, or sorry, all sorts of medicine. I was on four prescription medicines at this time. I was a walking zombie by the amount of prescription medicines. I couldn't really function. This is two years into our marriage. Um, you know, was, um, my wife is pregnant. I couldn't really help her. You know, it was kind of like, Oh, you have morning sickness. Well, you know, look at me. Uh, yeah, I feel horrible. And so then finally, um, I actually ended up having to be hospitalized three times, twice with an ambulance that had to take me to the doctors. Then a third time where I was able to take myself, well, my wife was able to take me. And it was three times of this for me to meet a naturopath who was really quick and able to discern that I couldn't have gluten and I couldn't have sugar, processed Mm -hmm. sugar. Like these two things cause me to have all of this negative reaction that causes me to have these vasovagal, these, you know, vagus nerve reactions that cause me to pass out and feel miserable and stuff like that. And so I gave up gluten, no problems, you know, and that was in today's world we're so blessed. Like there's everything gluten-free, right? I can get gluten-free everything. And so, um, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have been the case. No, it would not have been. That would have been harder. So God in his mercy understood that I had to experience it now and not, not 15 years ago. So, um, I, the hardest thing for me, uh, was the sugar. Oh yeah. And it still is. It's addictive. It is. It's addictive. Exactly. And so I have now, I've gotten it down to a science where like, I can have just, for instance, one handful of M&Ms, I'm going to be fine, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe two handfuls. But the problem is, is that if I go far enough distance between the last time I had handfuls of M&Ms, like three, four months, I'll have 10 handfuls of M&Ms and I will feel miserable the next day, you know? And so that's been a, a, a cross and something that I've absolutely had to learn the hard way is just abstaining from things that cause me to feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I heard it once that people learn need to learn to practice the inversion, meaning what could I do today to feel horrible tomorrow? <laughs> and for me, it's eating ten handfuls of uh, M and M's and drinking two, two um, you know, things of scotch or something like that. I'm going to feel miserable tomorrow. And if I come at my day often, you know, on weekends when these opportunities are there, with that sort of inversion mindset, and then asking God or Our Lady actually for for her help and assistance and prayers to to help me not um, fall in that um, uh, I'm successful, but 
when I don't do those things, even today, yeah. that we're talking years later, I, I can still have those, um, those issues. So. Yeah, well, and that's a, that's a good one, a good reality check for all of us, though, because some of us don't have the kind of extreme yeah. reactions that you do. But I think a lot of times, as you said, G.K. Chesterton once said uh, that we don't uh, often disagree on what we call sins, but we disagree on what sins we call excusable. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's true because, like, a lot of people say, well, well, I don't, I'm not addicted to porn or, like, yeah. I'm not addicted to, you sugar. know, yeah, yeah. gambling or whatever. Yeah. But what they do is they excuse themselves with sugar or yeah. things like that. They'll have, like, 10 Mountain Dews a day. Yeah. And that's excessive. Yes. You know, or they'll... They'll pick out on sweets, um, or you know maybe they maybe it's not sweets. Maybe they just love like bacon. And yeah, they, and it's not and it, it's excessive. They'll have like you know twenty pieces of bacon for breakfast or something. Where to the point where there's no there, I'm not prescribing rules or what's yeah. allowed or what isn't. But the point is we'll we'll say well I don't have a struggle with purity or I don't have a struggle with you know, seeing prostitutes or something, but I do, I'll allow myself this indulgence. Yes. And they do things to excess. Uh, or phones, like I'll play video games on my phone for eight hours, yeah. but at least I don't have that problem. Correct. You know, and it's like we we excuse ourselves in different ways, but the truth is, even with with sugar, with, you know, carbs, with all these things that can be really destructive to our health, Smoking, you know, you both, you and I yeah. enjoy a good smoke now yes. and then, but we also acknowledge that in excess, it can be a very destructive. Yeah, it'd be dangerous. So moderation in all things, and that can be really hard in, when things are, are inherently addictive, like sugar. Nobody puts warning labels no. on sugar, uh, high sugar content things, and yet they can be just as addictive as, as any cigarette or any alcohol or anything else. Like sugar is very, yes. it's, it works with your nervous system to the point where it can become a genuine addiction. You're right, and I, I appreciate every bit of that because it's exactly true. I never need 10 handfuls of M&Ms. Right. It doesn't make me happier. Right? <laughs> it doesn't, it's not fulfilling exactly. And the other thing about my circumstance, uh, just to point out, is that I don't have any of the negative reactions mm -hmm. if I avoid these things completely. Yes. Like God made that clear to me through this naturopath that's been so helpful. I'm not mm. on any prescription medication yes. because of her, yet I still... You know, I still yeah. want it my way, right? Yeah, <laughs> still exactly. having that frustration. So yeah. Well, the last the last one for me is it's just being sensitive to your wife's needs. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I was when I first got married, I was such a insensitive jerk, really. Yeah. And uh, my wife was so long suffering, um, but it took me. I had to learn the hard way that I had to take her needs into consideration. When I came into marriage, I was basically selfish. I was concerned with my needs, what made me happy, what made me feel good. So just a, a humiliating example of this mm -hmm. is when uh, I first, I had just gotten an office job when we first got married, you know, low level mm -hmm. office job. And I, you know, I was on the computer all day doing, doing various tasks. And then I come home and my poor wife, she had just quit her job to kind of be a homemaker. She knew that was where her heart was. And yeah. she really wanted to be at home. But we lived in a tiny little apartment. So she'd, you know, she'd clean, but there wasn't much to clean. Yeah. But then she'd make dinner, and then, you know, I'd come home. And I literally, at this point in my life, had, like, the 50s dad notion of what 
you know, coming home mm -hmm. from work mm -hmm. looked like. So it's like, get your robe and slippers, put your feet up, read the newspaper. Yeah. Like, and that was literally like my mindset at yeah. the time. So, so I came home and I was like, I wanted to sit back, relax, read a book, yeah. do something I enjoyed. But my wife had been alone all day and she wanted to talk. Yeah, wanted to So she started talking to me, telling me about her day, the things that she did, where, you know, maybe she went grocery shopping or yeah. something. Um, and just was, you know, she'd been alone all day. She wanted to talk, very reasonable. But I was like, no, I'm like 50s dad here. I'm like, honey, I've had a long day at work. Yeah. I need at least an hour to myself to recharge. <laughs> Like, please don't talk to me. And I literally said yeah. this at one point. I was like, can you just wait to talk to me until I've been able to recharge my batteries a little bit? That did not go well. Like, first, like, major fight in our marriage was me telling her, like, don't talk to me when I get home from work. Wow. Like, that's how insensitive I was. Another, like, humiliating example is one time we were, um, we weren't quite uh, Catholic at the time yet. Yeah. Uh, so we were just kind of exploring churches and things like that. And I remember we went to one church, and the pew, there was like a giant pillar. Okay. And like the pew kind of stuck behind the pillar, mm. the very tail end of the pew. Yeah. And the rest of the pew was filled up, but it was the only space available. So I sat where I could see and had a clear view of everything going on, and I let her sit the behind the pillar. The <laughs> and she did not appreciate that. So anyway, another yeah. humiliating example of my insensitivity. But over the years, I've learned that my wife's needs matter. Yeah. And that I need to be sensitive to her and get out of myself, get yeah. out of my own needs, get out of my own head, and pay attention to her, listen to her when she needs to talk. Yeah. And uh, do uh, put her needs first. Yeah. And the, to the extent that I've done that, we have a joyful and happy marriage. But yeah. of course, we all have our moments where we fall back into right. selfishness or insensitivity and, and it comes back to bite us. But, but the point is, that's the wonderful thing about marriage is it calls you out of yourself. Yeah, It calls you out of your, your own needs and your own narcissism and demands that you pay attention to somebody else. And that can be a very sanctifying thing if you embrace it with the right spirit and the right attitude. Um, if you, you know, a lot of marriages, unfortunately, that turns into like resentment or criticism yeah. or things like that, but it doesn't have to. Right. If you embrace it with a sacrificial spirit, like it can really sanctify you in a powerful way. So anyway, that's something I learned the hard way was that my wife's needs matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can see, uh, you know, but the thing is, is that it's kind of understandable. At first, you got the leave it to beaver mentality where the wife was happy right. to, to stay away or to serve the husband. Wait you on know? me, bring me a beer. That's yeah. right. <laughs> or we've got the wonder years. I think of the wonder years and how he always had scotch and his wife always filled up scotch. And while he was eating dinner with the kids, you know, she was always, you know, serving and stuff like that. And But another thing that just is coming to mind is, is the idea of that that servant leadership or that servant yes, love, you right. know, and that Christ provided um, us the example of and that we can do for those who matter the most to us, you know, in life and our wife mm -hmm. and our children. And we are called uh, to that sort of servant mentality, yeah. you know, and we'll have another episode on that. But, um, but yeah, thanks for sharing. So these are the difficult things we have learned the hard way. Yeah, and I, I just, too, I want to say, like, to anybody who's out there struggling or yeah. going through a period of frustration or a period where dreams are dying and they don't know what's next and 
or painful moments of humiliation, realize that these are the things that sanctity is made of. Mm-hmm. Like we have this misguided notion that the saints just woke up saints, you know, and no, like the struggle is the path, the failures, the struggles, the um, bitter disappointments in life. These are all ob- opportunities for holiness if yeah. we embrace them in the proper way. Why do well, why do we live, you know, 80 or so years on this earth? Yeah. It's to grow in holiness, to be faced with challenges that can right. help us to mature spiritually. Uh, I love what Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the, the great Russian yeah. writer, said once about his trials in like the Russian prison camps and stuff. He said, bless those moments. Because what God is really concerned with is the maturity of the human soul. Mm. Not our comfort or pleasure in life as much as he wants us to mature spiritually. So the extent that we embrace these moments of humiliation or pain in life, that's the extent to which we can grow in holiness. They're gifts, really, if we approach them in the right way. Agreed. So part of being a man um, that we like to talk about is um, the nightcap. Yes. And so for today's nightcap, we want to talk about a decanter set. And so we have a cool vintage example right here. Yeah, we got one up here in the back, and then we got this one right here. Got your playing cards right here, your your bottle opener, your yep. <laughs> bottle of scotch here, uh, your glasses. Oh, this is a very cool one. I actually haven't seen too many quite like this, but... Uh, very cool. Yeah, it is. And something uh, decanter-esque, right? So a decanter like that one back there um, is uh, you can put any types of scotch, bourbon in it. Uh, there's actually in the industry now something called decanter whiskey. Hmm. And decanter whiskey is plastic bottles of whiskey that taste pretty good, but you would never at a party want to set out a plastic bottle of whiskey. <laughs> so you put it in a nice crystal decanter and, and nobody's any the wiser and... Uh, and um, you can enjoy uh, the affordable whiskey uh, with your <laughs> friends. So yes, well, the canter set it's uh, it's a very gentlemanly accessory. Uh, consider getting one if you don't have one. That's right. And as we end every episode, be a man, be a saint. Thank you.